Melbourne AA Steps Weekend 2015. This is Bradley talking about Steps 10 and 11. Hi, I'm Bradley. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Bradley. And I have actually made some notes, but I'm going to leave them over there. Um, the... Um, One of the things my sponsor uh, taught me in early um, days was he had this technique of what he called praying through the steps. So he said, you know, he'd sit and he'd close his eyes and he'd mentally go through the steps. And as he put it, it was a bit like a doctor poking and prodding to find the bits that, that are tender. And he said there were certain parts of the steps that he found certain words certain parts of the step that he'd say, oh, I don't like that or I've got some problem or there's something um, there uh, to look at. And um, for me, in these two steps, um, one word that, um, I really, that really jumped out at me and that I had trouble with um, from the start was the word continue. And... Um, and the other one in uh, step 11 was the word improve, and conscious was another one. So um, I'm going to talk a little bit about these, um, these words, really, because for me, that, for my, my experience has been these have been key to my practice of these steps, my understanding of them, and practice. Um, I was just talking with a member, Jerry, before, and um, I was in early years uh, at a family wedding and I was talking to my maternal uncle, and he sort of he said, "Bradley, how how have you been going? How was that course you were doing? Did you finish it?" And I, I said, "Which course was that?" And he said, "Any any course." <laughs> and that's uh, a he'd just he'd just fallen off a cliff, a twenty metre cliff, um, sort of half tanked and broke just about every bone in his body. I think he might have got to that point a lot of people do when they've had a near death experience where they just talk straight with people. Um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, that was the story of my life. Um, I was a great starter of things. Um, I started... I did start several courses. I, I've sort of lost count. But um, I think I had three or four goes at uni. Um, you know, various things I'd start, and I'd just never finished anything um, at the point that I got sober in my early 30s. And... Um, and recovery has um, taught me uh, how to continue. And um, one of the things I was thinking about and thinking about this step, uh, about step 10 in particular, is that, um, you know, that word continue tells me that uh, these steps are not an event, something that I just do and then move on. Uh, that's how I used to drink. I would just do stuff and then I'd just move on. I might start a course, I might go out and do this, do this, but I would never actually, I was unable to actually, uh, I didn't have a sense of purpose. I was unable to start something and then just follow it through step by step and see something through to completion. And part of that was, a large part of that was that I had no idea who I was. I had no idea what I liked. you know, what I disliked, and fundamentally I didn't know what was good for me and what what suited me and what didn't suit me. And the biggest biggest part of that was with alcohol. Like I, you know, I grew up with an alcoholic father and um, 
I was sneaking drinks from an early age and I got affected by alcohol very profoundly from the start. And I was drinking, uh, you know, sort of to, to black out or throwing up from my early teens. And um, it was clear from the very start that I couldn't handle alcohol, as was the case with my dad, and yet I kept that up for another 16 or 17 years. So, you know, when I look back at that, that tells me that I'm someone who doesn't necessarily know what's good for me and what's in my best interests. And that's something that's followed right through um, my recovery, um, learning, you know, certain people that I've got to be wary of, certain people that work really well for me, certain things, certain, you know, places, certain types of activity, certain foods, certain drinks. You know, there's some things that suit me and that work well with me and there's other things that don't. And um, that has been a, a bit of a frame for me in doing um, uh, the inventory steps, which, you know, step 10's about. Um, so, you know, I see step 10 as sort of recapping, in a sense, uh, step, steps four and five. And, um, you know, and putting it into a daily practice in my life. So moving from something that I do as an event, like I've done my fourth step, I've done my fifth step, to actually just a, you know, making it a working part of, of my sort of daily conscious living. And um, so, you know, just thinking back to steps four and five, um, just to make a couple of comments on those steps, um, I couldn't get anywhere with, these, with, with steps four and five until the point where I realised that my problem was, you know, my, the framework that I used to judge what was right and wrong was itself faulty. So it wasn't like there was some objective set of morals that I could sort of measure myself against and say, yeah, you know, falling short here. Um, yeah, I should be doing that, but I'm doing this instead. I need to change. Actually, a lot of my, you know, it's probably growing up an alcoholic home, but a lot of my my difficulties with um, with step four and five was I actually had never really seriously sat and thought about what I considered to be right and wrong and what I valued as being good for me and valued as being not good for me. And the fact that I drank alcoholically for 16 years is very good um, evidence of that, that I, I just didn't have a clue who I was or what I was. And um, so for me, the, the process really began when I of taking inventory began when I started to um, question, you know, my values, question what I thought was good for me and what wasn't good for me. And, um, you know, in step 10, that's something that, you know, I get to to look at on an ongoing basis. So when I first um, sat down with my sponsor and went through uh, my step five, um, a lot of the stuff, and this is, I think, one of the key reasons we do it with another person, is that um, a lot of the things that I thought were my defects of character, when I shared these things to my sponsor, he didn't think that was really what, it, what was such a big deal. Um, a, lot of that, a lot of the shame I felt was really stuff I'd really inherited from my father in particular and my mother. And, um, and then there was all these other blind spots I had there was all these other real defects of character that I wasn't even aware of that only came out in talking with my sponsor and with other uh, older sober members. And that's where I started to get this idea that, you know, I've, I've, I've sort of inherited a, 
a framework of, for living of, of values that's really shot through with alcoholism. You know, I grew up with alcoholism all around me. Often, you know, to share, I grew up in an alcoholic town. It was, um, you know, it was just alcoholic behaviour was was normal. It was accepted. Actually, this T-shirt I've got recently. I don't know if anyone's seen the Damo and Darren uh, YouTube uh, videos, but that's set in my hometown. And um, uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I, I just discovered it this week, and <laughs> I've just fallen in love with it because it's a perfect. Um, it captures it perfectly that this sort of alcoholic lifestyle was just something that was I, it was like a fish in water I wasn't even aware of it I wasn't even aware that the way I behaved was alcoholic because um, I was like a fish in water that was the world I grew up in and I took to it and um, like a duck to water and um, so you know having done you know numerous fourth and fifth steps on a daily basis for me Step 10 is really um, about um, looking at myself and questioning not just what I do, but the sort of the, behind that, the sort of um, the, the, the sort of values that motivate my behaviour, the things I believe in. So I've had to really question on a deep level with, with um, you know, steps four and five and ten. I've had to really question what I believe in. You know, what do I actually believe works for me? What do I, what do I believe actually is, is good for me and in my interests? And I constantly get it wrong. I consistently, just recently, I've just started a business and I got, I, I got contacted by uh, someone, a very senior person, who was basically offering me rivers of gold, but it involved some fairly dodgy tax arrangements. And um, and I spent two and a half hours with this guy, and you know, I mean, I probably would have signed on the dotted line if, <laughs> you know, I was, you know, I got home and I talked to my wife, and then the doubt started to creep in, and within three hours of talking with my wife, I sort of realised, um, thanks, I realised this is not in my interests at all. This is not what I set out to do when I set up this business, and that's how I am, you know, like I'm just susceptible. Um, to being misled about what's in my own interests. And, um, and so, you know, this step for me, and particularly this concept of right and wrong, you know, for me, I don't believe there's an objective right or wrong. Um, that's what I've, for myself, what I've discovered in recovery is that right and wrong for me is just a mechanism for me to make decisions in my life. And... The thing about, um, in the 11th step, about conscious contact is that I make conscious decisions now. So I was talking about this before. When I was, when I was drinking, everything I did was sort of more or less unconscious. For me, the perfect you know, metaphor for my alcoholism is being in blackout. You know, I did a lot of blackout drinking. You know, I was upright, I was mobile, I was potentially travelling around and I was not conscious in any sort of normal sense of the word. I certainly couldn't tell you afterwards what I'd done the next day. I had no recollection at all. And, um, you know, for me, recovery is all about being conscious of what I'm doing. It's being conscious of these things, like what I consider to be right, what I consider to be wrong, and it changes all the time. What I think about now as being good for me, as being right, is not... Um, the same as when I first came in or even five years ago, you know, like I, 
I pursued a career um, in recovery. I didn't have anything like a career when I came in here. I didn't actually have work. Um, and, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've developed a career in recovery and for a long time that was the right thing for me to do. And then last year I suddenly realised this is not working for me. This is no longer healthy for me to be doing this, this work. And I, and I talked at length with my sponsor and I walked away from it. And you know, it's the best thing I've done. But then, you know, 10 years ago, the best thing I did was to get into this career. So, you know, my sense of what is right and wrong is, is, is changed. And, um, you know, that was one of the words in the 11th step that I had trouble with. Because I used to think conscious contact. Why does there have to be a conscious contact? Why can't God just take care of everything and take care of me? And I don't want to know about it. I don't, you know, it's not my responsibility, you know? And, um, and that's how I was when I was drinking. You know, my older brother looked after me. My parents looked after me. The doll office looked after me. Um, uh, and... Um, and in recovery, it's like, you know, no, son, you've got to start looking after yourself. You've got to develop a conscious contact. You've got to be aware of what your conception of a higher power is. You've, you know, I've, I, in recovery, I've had to find out what I believe in, what I believe will keep me sober and happy. And it's not necessarily what the person sitting next to me, it's going to work for them. You know, like I've um, I've met many people in, outside this fellowship who uh, can drink and have a great time, and it doesn't cause the chaos to them or their life that it does to me. You know, I shared with two other guys. I was about three years sober, who were um, at the end of their twenties and sort of it was the end of the, the party era. But you know, they were still having parties and stuff. And I saw I saw the vast majority of people were able to drink and have a good time and enjoy it and not suffer um, the consequences of drinking. And, I, you know, it's like, that's not me. I, I can't drink like other people can. Well, that principle applies across, right across the board. You know, there's, there's things that work for me that probably, you know, would be disastrous for other people in this room. And that's what, for me, the 11th step is about going deeper into actually, you know, it says sort through prayer and meditation, like, they call these, I've heard these steps referred to as the maintenance steps. I, I call them the improvement steps. Because when I, when the, other, the other word, improve, I, when I came in, every time I used to say this step, and it still happens actually, you know, I'd say we, that's the first word of this step, we sought through prayer and meditation to maintain our conscious contact with God. That's how I used to always read it to myself. And... Um, and then I go, oh, no, every time I go, oh, no, it's not maintain, it's improve. So when I hear people say these are the maintenance steps, I think, no, 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 no. No, these are the improvement steps. Like, I did everything in my life during drinking. Thank you. Everything um, in my life that I, uh, you know, that I did drinking, I did just enough that I had to do in order to get people off my back. And in a sense, get myself off my back. I'd prove to myself, oh, you know, I'd go to uni, I'd get really good marks. See, you know, look, I can do it. And then I'd stop. And um, the idea of actually doing something 
not because I have to or to maintain some sort of status quo, but to actually do something, you know, to proactively try and improve things and try and improve myself. This is, you know, for me, this has been a really novel concept and that's why, you know, as I say, even to this day, often when I um, pray through this, this step, I, 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 instead of saying improve, I say maintain and that tells me, that alerts me that, you know, you know that I'm, I'm getting lost back into the old way of thinking. And um, just... A word on God. Um, you know, I didn't have any religious upbringing. My parents sort of said, "When you're old enough, you'll work it out for yourself." And um, my path took me um, not into Western, but into Eastern uh, ways of thinking and believing. And um, you know, for me, I've never worried about that word God. I just read the steps. I do the first three steps every morning as they're written. And um, and then I think about what they mean to me because that's what it says in the big book, you know. In, you know. Don't let prejudice against these terms stop you from thinking, what do they mean to me? What does that word actually mean to me, God? And again, you know, for me, I've, I've been able to arrive at something that works for me, that makes sense to me. And the important thing about this word is that it works. You know, Carl Jung said that in his letter to Bill W, you know, the main thing about it is that it's real and it works. You know, there's no, there's no room in, in alcoholism for mucking around with um, stuff that doesn't work or stuff that you think you should be thinking or doing. There's no room for that. You have to find out something that is powerful enough to actually overcome alcoholism. And, um, you know, I've, you know, that to me has been, in a sense, you know, the best part of this whole journey um, has been... Uh, I, so when I got sober, I'd never bought a set of clothes for myself, not once. I'd lived off hand-me-downs at the age of 31. I'd only ever had clothes that had been given to me or from a second-hand shop at St Vincent Saint Salvo's or whatever. And in recovery, I started to, I started to buy my own clothes... You know, I remember I went to Gowings, famous Sydney saying, I went to Gowings when they were still there. And I, I, sw- I sweated blood trying to choose clothes for myself. I'd never done it. I was 31. I'd never bought clothes for myself. And I had to start I was thinking about what I like, what I don't like, you know, what suits me, what doesn't suit me. And that, for me, you know, that process of buying clothes is like a metaphor for how I do um, these steps, you know, step 10, 11, the rest of them, is, um, I, you know, I'm no longer content with hand-me-down, second-hand clothes. You know, I choose for myself what fits me. Thanks. Information about the annual Melbourne AA Steps Weekend is available from www.stepsweekend.aagroup.org.au. Thanks for letting us share.